I had completely forgotten about this until Eric mentioned it, uh, and that is I, I do have one and only one uh, spring forward fallback story. It was actually spring forward, and it was at our last church, and I, the pastor, uh, forgot to set his clock, you know, to do that. And Julie was on some retreat or something, and so there I was getting a call at about 9.25. The service started at 9.30 and, um, and wondering where I was. And it took me, you know, a while to get ready, and I had yet to touch up, do the final touch up on my sermon, and I, a couple places I had to fill in. So I got there five minutes after the service started, and, and as I was going, I called the worship pastor and asked him, how long can you dance? And he said, well, I'll do my best here. And, and I tell you, it was almost impossible to outlive that deal. I mean, they kept bringing it back and bringing it back and, until finally we decided to leave the church. So, so you might want to pray that I'll remember every spring forward fall back here so we won't be tempted. But anyway, the, one of my favorite hymns is hymn 670, Make Me a Blessing. I think it's my favorite or one of them because it goes back so far. It goes back way to vacation Bible school when we were missionaries in Hong Kong and my, I was about five years old. And it had such a fundamental, formative influence in my life that those words, uh, the, the lyrics, the music out of the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. It's been going through my mind all week, given what I've been uh, studying. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Give as was given to you in your need. Love as the Master loved you. Be to the helpless a helper indeed. Unto your mission be true. Going passionately out of our growing intimacy with God. A caring community for the county and the world. Sharing Christ in word and deed. Unto your mission be true. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Out of my life may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing. O oh, Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Simple but powerful. Today I'd like to talk about living the generous life. Living a generous life. Having a generous spirit. And about how generosity is at the very heart and core of being a caring community that goes passionately. And about how all this is the secret of being truly happy. Do you live a generous life? There's a lot at stake here. We're going to see today that generosity is really, again, at the heart of being a caring community and of going passionately. And it's kind of a chicken and the egg kind of thing because just being in a caring community like ours is, to a good degree, a caring community that goes passionately is a good part of the secret of developing a lifestyle of generosity because we're to be like logs in a fire. And it's catchy. On our own, we kind of go out like embers without a fire. There's a synergy in the body that benefits us each powerfully, especially when it comes to this thing of generosity. How many of you have uh, heard about the flooding that was, that's been going on in Bangkok, Thailand? It's a horrendous thing. That a lot of industries have had to shut down. Toyota has shut down some of its assembly lines elsewhere because they make parts there. Well, uh, the picture on the screen is where uh, 
Bangkok, Thailand, was where that picture was taken. And there, as, as I saw that picture, I guess it was about two weeks ago, and it's still going on. It really kind of got frozen in my mind. There are people all around the world who are doing just the same as that man, and maybe some of you are too. They're holding on for dear life as the floodwaters rise, you might say, which is just the opposite we're going to see today of what we ought to be doing. What you're looking at is the worst flooding that they've gone through in 50 years. Remember this summer how we taught, talked about all the, the, um, the records that have been breaking through all the floods and tornadoes? The, world, the re- records continue to be set the world over. Uh, Himalaya quake, death toll times to 99, worst quake since 1950, and that was the worst quake since 1897. Just like the snowstorm back east, which broke even more records, as if they hadn't had enough. Snowstorm tangles, morning commutes in northeast. Listen to what they say. There's no gas anywhere, said Deborah Polisamo. It's like we're in a war zone. It's pretty scary, actually. In New Jersey, Governor Chris, uh, Chris Christine declared the damage to utilities worse than that wrought by Irene, a deadly storm that blew through the state in August. Things were similar in Connecticut, where the power loss of 800,000 broke the record set by Irene. And then listen to this. Uh, you had this storm, said one man. His name is Tom Jacobson. You had Hurricane Irene. You had the flooding last spring. And you had the nasty storms last winter. I'm starting to think we, we've really ticked off Mother Nature. Is it Mother Nature? Somehow, because we've been getting spanked by her for about a year now. Well, the saga of world cataclysms that we saw this summer continues. Hurricanes, floods, wildfires, droughts, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, snowstorms. That, you might say, is the subject of our, is the context of our subject today. Billy Graham said, I never preach without first looking at the morning news. Because God speaks to us in many ways. And that's the subject, the context, for our subject today of living a generous life and how it's more important, not less important when you read the newspaper. The question is this, what are you holding on to as the floodwaters rise? That's the human instinct, to become less generous. A few banknotes that you think are going to save your life. Precious notes that you don't want to get wet. If you're doing that, you'll sink under the weight. But with a generous spirit, you'll, you'll, it's like you're truly buoyant. Now more than ever, it's time, I think, to be buoyant, not to be burdened by the things of the world. Martin Luther said, I've held many things in my hands, just like he is, and have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. We'll see that today. Did you know that the word miserable comes from the word miser? (laughs) You think there's a connection? (laughs) Which means this, if you want to be emotionally miserable, be a miser. On the other hand, Carl Menninger, the famous psychiatrist who founded the the Menninger Psychiatric Clinic, said this, Generosity is one of the essential components of mental health. 
That's why you see it all over the place in Scripture. God wants us to be happy and healthy in good ways. We have found that generous people are rarely mentally ill. It can make the difference between sinking or swimming. There's a lot at stake here. For the past five weeks, we've been in this series on 40 Days of Community, and we've been focusing on how to, how to deepen our sense of community in our church family, particularly in our small groups, and on reaching out to the community around our church family. The word for community in the Bible, some of you know, is the word fellowship. Fellowship is what we've been talking about now for five weeks. The word fellowship in the Bible is a Greek word. It's a famous Greek word, the word koinonia. Probably most of you have heard it. Koinonia is such an important word that it's translated many different ways. Because like a diamond, it has many different facets. And so there's just no one translation. But they're all related. In the Bible, koinonia is translated not just fellowship. It's translated as community. It's translated as participation. It's translated as contribution. And it's translated as generosity. This is important because all four of these are essential elements of fellowship. If you and I are going to have fellowship together, there's got to be a sense of community. There has to be some participation on my part and on uh, your part. There's got to be a contribution where I make a contribution into your life and you make a contribution into my life and into the lives of those in our community and in our world as we go passionately. There has to be, under it all, the common theme of generosity. And in a lot of ways, that's the bottom line. You cannot have community without generosity, without being generous with uh, our time, with our energy, with our money, with our resources, with with all the different uh, parts of our lives. You can't have community without generosity. And our study of community won't be complete without looking at this virtue. So on this fifth week, we're going to look at generosity. Why, why does God want us to learn to be generous with each other? God says there are incredible benefits to my life when I am generous with other people. And when I'm not, more and more, my life is going to look like that. That's what the Bible teaches. One, as we've already seen, the bottom line is that generosity creates strong community. And we're just going to tick through two or three of these, uh, depending on how much time we have. First, generosity creates strong community. That's one of the incredible benefits that God has when I'm generous with other people. The kind of community that will stand us in good stead through thick and through thin, through hell and through high water. You help me. I help you. There's a synergy of generosity that keeps our heads well above the rising uh, seas. 2 Corinthians 9 tells us your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also, listen, produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. He's saying when we're generous with each other, we thank God for each other and we're drawn closer together as a result of that. The Bible says this in Matthew 6, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. In other words, wherever I put my time, my money, my efforts, my talents, my energy, wherever I invest myself, that thing is what's going to attract me. My heart will be in that thing. My money tends to be uh, a magnet. In other words, if you want, you know, if you want me to get a heart for Microsoft, if I want to get a heart for Microsoft, well, I'll just buy some stock. It's pretty easy, right? 
Real simple. The moment you buy, you know, you buy some stock in Microsoft, you'll be very interested in that company. Your heart will be invested there for good or ill. Same is true if you want to be interested in the United States of America's economy. Buy some treasury bills. As the economy goes up, you'll be very interested in the American economy if you're trying buying treasury bills. And these days, even if the economy goes down, a lot of people are still buying treasury bills. But that's a whole other story. It's hard to let go. Wherever you put your time and money, that's where your, your heart will end up being. That's what Jesus said. For, for many of you, your heart, I don't know, maybe it's in your boat. Maybe it's in your brand new skis. Uh, maybe you're, uh, that may, that's where you're putting your time and energy, or your heart may be in your home. That's where you're putting your time, your money, your energy, fixing it all up. Or your, heart, uh, uh, or your heart may be in your work. That's where you're putting your time and your money and your energy, truth be told, in the heart of hearts. Or it may be in a hobby. Wherever your treasure is, that is the investment of your life, that's where your heart is going to be. So anytime, what that means is this, anytime I'm generous with you, or anytime I'm generous with the poor, or anytime I'm generous with anybody, with God or anybody, that's where my heart tends to go. It's an investment. And every time I give it to, to, to God, it draws my heart closer to God. And every time I give to you, it draws my heart closer to you because giving or generosity creates community. And especially as floodwaters rise, we see what a precious thing that is. The first Christians were very famous for their generosity. In Acts 4, it tells us that the community of believers shared everything. They must have been really bonded. They shared everything in common. They were a family. They just shared it all. What's mine is yours, and you can share it with me. It was all voluntary. Though it's not communism. Communism says what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. That's theft. That's larceny. Redistribution of wealth, which we hear about in our country too. That's not biblical. Christianity says what's mine is yours and you can share it with me. That's generosity. Voluntary generosity. And that creates true Christian community. What a payback. But second, generosity defeats greed, otherwise known as materialism. And God is doing that in other ways, too, these days in our country, and it's a very good thing. The, uh, but here's one way that we do it. When I'm gen- the more generous I am with you, the more it defeats materialism in my life or with those in need. Would you agree that we live in a culture of materialism? Lots changing, but some of that's still there. Especially here in America, where until recently, you know, it's been get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's many people's goal in life. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can in your retirement till you're dead. It's like the goal is to get more and more and more, and just about the time you catch up with the Joneses, they refinance, you know, and get more and more and more. That's what had been going on in the bubble. Or they filed for bankruptcy, or you know, or all the Christmas catalogs come out, or the economy tanks, and everyone's got a great excuse for not giving. You know, I find it interesting in the Great Depression, 
where there is some real character there prior to the Depression for various reasons. But during the Great Depression, they actually built many, many churches. Many new facilities went up. But not in this one. This uh, Great Recession. In fact, an article in Christianity Today came out, November 5th, 2011, turning inward. It's a church piggy bank with uh, little pennies. It says, giving declines as churches focus more resources toward themselves. The astonishingly low tithing levels ought to report that have happened in the last three years or so, ought to provoke self-examination. It's not only spending on physical services that has declined, but spending on missionaries as well. We need to discern what the pull of the culture is and go against it. And we've done that in this church. I'm glad to report that we are, I think, 3 or maybe 5%. What is it, Scott? Is it 5% above the giving of last year? We were 5% above last year's total giving at the end of this fiscal year, at the end of August. That's unbelievable. You talk to other pastors, they say, how do you do it? I say, I don't know. I just got in front of the parade and I'm going for it. It had started long before we ever got here, but way to go. That's an antidote to greed. That's an antidote to materialism. It's generosity. Every time you're generous, you have a spiritual victory in your heart. Every time you're generous, your heart grows. It doesn't shrink into something hard that sinks. It grows. Every time you're generous, you break the iron fist of materialism in your life. Why? Because materialism is all about getting. It's about get, 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 holding tighter, tighter, tighter. And it's my nature to get it and to hold on to it. And the worse things get, the the more you hold on for dear life. Dr. Kurt Elliott was interviewed by Dr. James Dobson last May about what's going on in the world around us. And he ended with this, 10 ways to survive the economic tsunami that's coming. And at the top of the list to make sure you're, was to make sure you're plugged into a good Christian community. And secondly, to give generously. Talk about countercultural, but that's Biblical. Community and generosity are two of the top ten secrets of security when things are tanking economically. And there's a synergy between the two, community and generosity. It's a powerful thing. God says every time you share with a friend, share with your family, share with your neighbor, anytime you're generous with anybody, you're bonding together and you are breaking uh, the grip of uh, materialism in your life. The one thing that will make you more than anything else miserable, not happy, and that is being miserly. And when everything around us is conspiring to make us miserable, not happy, let's not add insult to injury by being miserly. That'll tank you. So anytime you're generous with other people, you're deepening community, you're defeating greed, but also you're strengthening your faith because you'll see that he is true to his promises. You're strengthening your faith, your faith in God. You'll become more like God, stronger and deeper rather than tight-fisted and miserly in the kind of day when Christ says the faith of many will fail. Generosity will keep me from going down because it strengthens my faith, not my fists. 
my ability, like Luther said, to, to, to put it all in God's hands so I can truly possess it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 13, your giving proves the reality of your faith. There are more promises in the Bible about giving than promises about any other subject. In fact, God talks more about giving than He does about heaven or hell. Why? Well, because He wants us to be more like Him. That's the bottom line of who He is in a lot of ways. God is a generous God. You would have nothing in your life. I would have nothing in my life if it weren't for the generosity of God. I wouldn't take the next breath if it weren't for God's generosity. So God says, I want you to learn to be like me and I'll take care of you. I'm generous with you and and, uh, so you be generous with other people. You have the faith to do it. Sooner or later, you have to decide, do I believe all those promises in the Bible? Here's one of them. It's the principle in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, whoever sows sparingly, that is, gives. But he's saying giving is like sowing. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This principle is true in every area of our lives. If you give out judgment, if you're judgmental with other people, guess what they're going to be saying behind your back? Whatever you sow, you reap. If you're critical of other people all the time, you're picking at them, nitpicking, they're going to be critical of you. If you gossip about other people, I guarantee it, people are going to gossip about you. If you're envious and jealous of other people, other people are going to be envious and jealous of you. Whatever you give out, he says, you're going to get back. On the other hand, if you're constantly giving out encouragement and sowing affirmation and not painting all their warts red, you know, and you're sowing kindness, people are going to be affirming and encouraging and kind to you, and they'll be drawn to you. If you sow love, if you're loving to other people, they're going to sow back some love. Whatever you give out in life, you're going to get back. You're opening your fist so God can give it back to you, which He's not going to do. He's God. So He's not going to do it in a miserly way. God wired the universe that way. You know, Bob McEwen tells this cute story about his son. He took his son over to McDonald's and he bought him some super-sized french fries. And he said he was driving back home and those things smell so good, you know, on the other side of the car. And, and, uh, and I said, I reached over and took one little french fry out of my son's french fries and I ate it. And my son got all upset. He said, Dad, you can't have that one. These are my fries. And he said, I immediately had three thoughts. And every parent, I'm sure, has had these three thoughts. First, he said he thought his child had forgotten that I am the source of all the fries. Right? I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed them to him. I'm driving him back home for Pete's sake. You know? He wouldn't have had any fries if it weren't for me. The only reason he got any fries is because of me. The great, I'm the great fry giver. We are. He said the second thing he thought was that that my child doesn't realize I could take them away in a second if I wanted to. Right? Or, on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I have the power to do either. No big deal. Third thing I realized, he said, is I didn't need his fries. I could easily just get my own. A whole lot easier. 
I could buy myself a hundred packs of them if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. That's all it was. Think God the Father is like that. Yeah, he is. Those three lessons are how God wants you to learn to be gracious and unselfish with other people. Same thing. God says, I want you to remember I am the source of everything you've got. You would have zip, nothing, without me. You might not know it, but that's the truth. I chose to create you, and I chose to give you all the things you've got. It's all for me, too. I could take it away from you just like that, or I could double it just like that, because I've got the power. And whenever I take it away or give more, my agenda is to make you more like me. So get a clue. Three, God says, I don't need your fries. I don't need your money. I'm not poor. I just want you to learn to be unselfish. I want you to learn to be gracious. I want you to learn. I want to develop your faith in me. What happens when I start becoming more generous with other people? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and plenty left over to give joyfully to others. He's made us not to be reservoirs, but rivers, to be channels of blessing to the world. That's what's to make us different as a caring community that goes passionately, and that depends on generosity. God says, if you will practice generosity, being generous with the people around you, I will make it up to you by giving you everything you need plus. I'll even give you more so you'll have more to share because you will have proven that that's what you'll do. You'll follow my agenda. And that's exhilarating. God is looking for channels to use. He's looking for people to say, God, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing, I pray. Because most people, they get it and they keep it. They don't get it and pass it on. It goes on and on. Our time is almost up. But not only in time, but eternity does he pay it back. Like it says in Luke 16, use your real worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. doesn't end down here. Rick Warren says, I love, I love this, you never see a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. <laughs> Do you? No matter how hard you try, you can't take anything with you, even if you pay for them to put a U-Haul behind your hearse. But it's true, just like Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, I still possess now through eternity. Did you know that mortuaries sell things called burial suits? I've never seen anyone buy one because usually, you know, you want them to wear something you're familiar with, but some don't have anything much to wear. They're suits for people who don't have any suit that they want to be buried in. And you know what's the difference between a burial suit and a real suit? In a burial suit, there are no pockets. Think about it. It's true. You don't need them. Whatever you put in your pockets, in your pockets, they will stay as you push up daisies. Can't take it with you. 
but you can send it ahead. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that our deeds follow us. It's all that follows us and will be rewarded in heaven. So, there's no greater investment that you can make for all sorts of different reasons and many others too. When you help other people with your time, with your money, with your resources, with whatever you've got, you are actually, God says, you are actually storing up treasure, both here and in eternity. And he says... He says that's an investment. It's protected in heaven. It pays good rates. It's proven. Great dividends, no risks. What a deal. Especially these days. It's an investment we want to make. It's like someone said, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. Which is you. I must close. You can give without loving. Let me try to sum it up. But you cannot love without giving. It's the essence of love and it's the essence of fellowship, of koinonia, of being a caring community, of going passionately. That's why the Bible is all about giving. I don't, uh, someone looked up all these key concepts and uh, apparently God talks more about giving, about generosity, than he does about heaven or hell. The word believe is used 272 times in the Bible because God wants you to believe. The word pray is used 371 times in the Bible because God wants us to pray. The word love is used 714 times in the Bible because God wants us to learn to love. But the word give is used 2,162 times in the Bible because under it all, He wants us to learn to be generous. And under it all, that's what he is like. And that's why. About grace, in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. There's one other word that's translated in the Bible from the word koinonia, and that is the word communion. And so it's fitting that we end with that today. With uh, The word communion, too, comes from koinonia, fellowship. It's the same word in the Bible. What's the meaning of communion? Communion is the reminder of the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we take it. Jesus, on the night in which he went to the cross, he took his disciples into a room and he took some bread and he took some wine. In this case, it's juice, but we won't get into that. And he said, these are two symbols I'm giving you to remember what I'm going to do for you. These are symbols to help you remember how generous I will be and have been for you towards you. He said, the bread is going to represent the body that I'm giving for you because I'm going to die and I'm going to hang on a cross and my body's going to be broken for your sin. And then he said, this juice, this wine will represent the blood that I so generously shed for your life. The life that I gave. He said, these things are just to remind you how much I love you. The whole reason... We have Dillon Community Church. The whole reason we have any semblance of a caring community that uh, goes passionately is because that's what he did. It's because of the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in closing, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Remember 
the generosity of Jesus Christ, Lord of all. He was rich beyond our telling, yet he became poor for your sake, so that his poverty might make you rich. Why don't we have the servers come forward?